Welcome to the Real Triathlon Podcast. I'm your host, Garrick Lowen, here with Nicholas Chase and Jackson Lund. Welcome back to the Real Triathlon Podcast. It's a new year. It's a new podcast episode. It is Nick and I today, and we got a big interview coming up. Um, this was recorded back last year, but we're putting this out now. And it is about all about altitude. Is that right? Yes, altitude chambers specifically with Rico Rogers, who's he's like the owner founder of Box Altitude, which most people will have, you know, an altitude around their bed, which goes under their mattress. His is more like it's a room within the room. It's like less claustrophobic, a little bit easier to get to deal with. But anyways, the facts and everything that go along with altitude training and turn just basic health benefits to actual real benefits. Uh, it's a cool episode. Jackson uses um altitude tent in his house. So that's kind of why we thought it'd be a pretty valuable bit of information for everyone to learn about. And yeah, I mean, if it's very, he's an engineer, you can tell um, he's actually was a cyclist, but now he's more of an engineer. So he's definitely very well spoken on the topic. So pay attention. You might learn some. Yeah, man. I've always wondered what it would cost to either turn my whole bedroom into an altitude room or just make my entire house altitude. I tell you. All the altitude. Um, it's probably about eight to 13 grand. It's not that expensive to have an altitude room because most, as you'll hear in the, in the episode, most rooms and the, the level of, especially if you live in a cold climate, the level of ceiling within your windows is pretty good. So really it's just the, the ventilation and the doors that you kind of have to seal up. So it's not as hard as you think, honestly, like you could do an altitude. And like this one dude said that he did an altitude room and he didn't tell his wife ever. So she just was living in altitude at night and never knew it. That's brilliant because I could never, I could never get my wife to approve of an altitude tent around the bed. Uh, there's no way she would ever do that. But an altitude room where maybe she doesn't even know about it. Beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, so it's the new year. Nick, um, that means we're coming into the new season. What do you got on your plate here? We got tons of stuff going on with the RTS, just with yourself in general. You got a new coach. Um, you got some big race plans coming up. Well, Touch on something there. we got new hats. So that's a new Ooh. thing. I was, you know, we kind of ran out of hats fast last year and I was limping along. I haven't really released a lot, but this is like a puff logo. So it's like a 3D embroidered puff logo, which I saw on, sad to say, a feed hat. And I was like, I really like that logo. So um, we get trying to do a lot of stuff. So with RTS, we've got a lot of different verticals now. We have the tried, tested, proven protein. We're launching RTS X, RTS expansion team. That'll be about 12 members. And it's going to be, you know, rookie pros, pros who've just been friends with us for a long time, who are looking to eventually go big or just don't really care if they ever make top 100 um or some athletes who are going to turn pro later in life um we've got some influencers um so we're just looking to maybe expand this network to more than just the eight which we're trying to do different you know different tasks for different teams then within that um 
ecosystem of RTS, where we're going to be launching officially Endure All Coaching, which is going to have nutrition, strength, about five or six different coaches. Garrick, you'll be one of our coaches, of course. And that's really just to help our community evolve and get smarter, stronger, and have camps like we're going to be having next week in Cozumel. And then we're going to be hopefully bringing on a couple para athletes to start to help that level of sport, whether it's with funding or with some of our partners to help support. Because most para athletes get a, a good amount of support if they're going to the Olympics, but they barely get enough just to cover all the training and gear. So they must still have to work full-time jobs. And of course, then they can't perform. So if we can't get medals because of that, we're limiting ourselves. Um, additionally, the podcast, we want to keep that going. Uh, the video podcast on YouTube, our YouTube deliverables, our partnerships, all of these things are prime to make this team something that hasn't been done, I think. And we're still trying to see if Super League is going to be one of our investment opportunities or if it will be something we just kind of manage as that sport grows. So we've got short course, long course, different variations, gravel, Xterra, and, you know, a whole startup. So that's, that's it. And then for me, I'm going to be racing Oceanside as an opener, I guess, probably with 200 other pros who show up. And then pretty much additionally, or addition to that, um, what 70.3 St. George will be like my world championship push since, uh, you know, I live here. Then I'm going to do challenge Roth and we'll kind of see if I spit anything in out of there. And then who knows what the rest of the season looks like. Nice. And do you want to touch upon the new coach? Oh yeah. Um, well, I don't think it's super new. Most people I knew I, I'm started to work with Jim Vance, but that was kind of like the last, the tail end of last year. So that's really, I think where my running started to take off a little bit more run economy wise bike started to get a little bit better. Um, I swim still was lacking a lot of firepower. So like any pro athlete right now, just addressing some of the the changes. But of course, I'm not riding five hour indoor trainer rides just yet. Like some of these people who are just crushing themselves already in the first week of January. Have you seen that? I've seen some pretty crazy first weeks. Um, I can't say I did a crazy first week, but yeah, I've seen some guys just like get back. I think I saw Simon She post his first week and he did like 32 hours and he was like 15 hours of trainer riding and hundred K of running. It's, but. it's ridiculous. Um, I think at two weeks his own, and I've been a young, hungry athlete many, many times in my life, but overall now, now I'm a lot, a lot smarter. And I know that if I want to make it through January, um, July, August, September with a really good attitude and not be destroyed, sometimes these first few weeks need to be still like, kind of train how you feel, but just do a little bit of volume, right? Yeah. I don't know how many times I've like, like, oh, I moved to Florida for the winter and then just like crushed the first week. And then, oh, I got a niggle and I'm down running for three weeks or doing something crazy in the first. It's, it's the first of the year. Like it's time to just get going. I'm going to race in April. And then like, or I'm going to race in March back in the ITU days. And it was like, and then, oh, here's a niggle. Oh, yep. No, it's a little longer than I thought it was going to be. And yeah. yeah. So I try to ease into it and just like be smart. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. July comes fast. It does. 
Yeah. And um, it's guy like people forget about April pretty soon in the, in the season. Everyone is like eyes on uh, Oceanside and it's like big race, but then like, you know, come June, July, people forget what happened in Oceanside and come uh, September, October, doesn't matter what you did in April. It doesn't. It's like results these days are so like good for one day, barely. And then it's like, all right, well, next race is coming up. So you have to just be more than a, res a results focused athlete. You've got to be the big picture. You have to carry your socials through the week. You've got to talk about, you've got to just have so much going on as a pro athlete these days, which is why we're seeing such large contracts. What? So Garrick, this is a good topic too. Ironman Pro Series, PTO, uh, challenge family, and then just general racing, whatever makes sense. Like, what do you think? Yeah, that's yeah. a good question, Nick. I actually didn't take my PTO contract this year. <laughs> Dang. <laughs> Someone else got a six-figure contract with your name. Yeah. Um, no, man, this is such a good opportunity. Um, I know a lot of people are just like kind of shit on the PTO for like, they're like, what are they doing for the bottom pros? What are they doing for the bottom pros? But really, like at the end of the day, I look at all these other sport leagues and um, kind of hockey in particular is where I spend a lot of my time. And it's like I look at these these guys and they're signing eleven and a half million dollar contracts, 13 million dollar contracts. And those are the top two, three guys on the team. And the guys at the bottom, you know, they're make of the roster. They're making seven hundred and fifty thousand. But then the guys that aren't even in the league that are in the AHL that, you know, get shuffled up and down they're only making 75 K and it's like, you know, we, we can only pay so much money to so many people. Where's the product on TV. And that's where we have to focus our investment. So I like this where they're tying down the top guys and they're going to put a good product out there this year where these guys are going head to head all year. And what that's going to do is it's opening up, you know, and then so Iron Man came in as well to compete but they're focusing on the longer distance like that Ironman series is very much for the long course guys, for the full distance Ironman guys, it's three Ironmans, two seventy point threes, right. To, to score. So who's doing three Ironmans and two seventy point threes? It's the, the full guys. It's the guys that aren't doing that hundred K distance for sure. And probably wouldn't have been competitive there. And now that opens up tons of space for these uh, I can't remember what they labeled them, silver tier races or whatever, you know, for the bottom hundred pros or the, not the bottom hundred, but the, those not ranked the top hundred to go and compete against each other and battle against each other for the front of the field. I think that's how it's going to play out at least for the first couple of years of these two series. And, um, you know, I could be totally wrong. Could be, this could be a very cold take next year, but, uh, I'm excited to see how it plays out. So. Yeah, it's interesting to say that will it be fun to watch? That's that's my main concern. For the PTO races especially, especially, they've contracted X number of athletes to be at all these races and how the, I'd like to see if the race courses favor some athletes versus the others, cold weather versus hot weather, wetsuit swims, non-wetsuit swims, hills on the bike, hills on the run, cuz if they're all pretty straightforward multi-loop courses that aren't very much different then we might see the same race six times and it might be a same rough prediction model because the fitness you end up with going into the first couple of races 
with that much tempo and the other racing you want to do, it's hard to get faster throughout the entire year unless you're taking some non-banned legal substance that is not known about. I mean, so just saying that's out there too. Probably <laughs> just speculating. Yeah, yeah. Well, we know that's out there. Um, yeah. We're not, we're not going to comment on that, but yeah, like, you know, it could, we, we've seen years um, where that's really happened in the WTCS racing where they, they're very similar courses. Uh, you go to, from Yokohama to, to London to, you know, uh, Madrid, like stuff like a ham well hamburg yeah hamburg got the the cobblestones but it always ends up the same right and um yeah you don't really see a lot of variation i think they're getting a little better with that but uh yeah how, how many times have you seen that where one athlete just dominates the whole year yeah so that that is a possibility for sure um, i think but, i think yeah. pto is going to be a really good marketing company, a race race production company. That's pretty much what they they are now. So, can they sell any broadcast rights? Can they get bigger sponsors with these guaranteed athletes? Is it going to elevate to the level they think? Who knows? But I think most of these athletes in the PTO are still going to try to do a couple Ironman, at least Kona, at least seventy point three worlds. So. I think eventually the PTO distance is going to cater to those short distance athletes after 2024 at Paris. You're going to see a lot of those athletes who've been dominant at short course transfer over quickly to PTO and elevate that even further. It's going to be faster swims, crazy bikes, crazy runs, and then full distance Ironman owned and dominated by Ironman. Um, that's probably going to be where you see, the sport still get faster, but it's probably going to be for guys like me who are just still trying to go stronger for longer, be more tactical, relying more on experience. And hopefully I can still do well there in my final years in the sport. Cause I turn 38 this year Woo! in July. Not yet. Jeez. That's uh, it sucks. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's old man. What am I going to do? I am a, I'm a human. I'm going to age. Yeah. Hey, Jan Ferdino retired at 42 and uh, he won the USA PTO Open and he started his career 10 years before you, at least probably more than that, because you yeah. started at what, mid 20s. So he would have been at 24 when he was like five. I got to go to Girona, I guess, and just see what what helps everybody stay stronger and barely breathing it, you know, 300, 330 per K, no, three hours into a race. No big deal. Doesn't even hurt. More carbs. They're just absorbing 180 grams of carbs per hour somehow. That's all it is. Yeah. Actually, um, based on what I see on YouTube, I think it's AG1. Oh, AG1. Yeah, they're everywhere. <laughs> Sprinkle yeah. it on your on your skin at night. Do everything you can. Yep. That's it. That's the solution right there. Eric, what's your schedule? Yeah, man. I've been trying to map it out. So, obviously, I feel like this is the year where Garrick stays healthy. You know? <laughs> this is... This is it where Garrick maps out a season and he executes it for the first time since before the pandemic. Uh, yeah. So on the schedule right now, what I have as 95% sure we're going to do Ironman Texas, um, Challenge Quebec City and Ironman Frankfurt. I want to do Oceanside, um, but we'll see like logistically how that works out just with the travel and um work and then getting away with Ironman Texas because I want to put a lot of eggs in the Ironman Texas basket. Texas is going to have the single largest start list I think we will ever see for a full distance Ironman. That's why I want to do it. 
it'd be savage. That's why I just I want to see what it's like. That's the first full distance Iron Man of the Iron Man series. So I'm like, like ever. So I'm like, I want to get my name on that start list. I want to see what it's all about. And then Frankfurt, I um it's another series race and it's Iron it's European champs. And I want to be like, I want to see like I know the European guys are crazy, but I just, you know, I just want to experience it firsthand. I've raced a couple times like draft legal over in Europe. But uh, I have yet to do long course out in Europe. So I'm like, oh. let's, uh, let's give that a go. And I then, can tell uh, you from experience, they ride the first loop of a full distance bike course at 70.3 effort. <laughs> like at Ironman Austria four or five years ago, it's a two loop course, 6,000 feet of climbing throughout the whole thing. We did the first loop in like 205. Nice. It's yeah. done. It's done. They just ride so hard. <laughs> Yeah, that that's what I want to experience. I just want to jump in the fire, and then I'll do whatever the late season. Uh, oh, Kona, of course, I'll do Kona, and then uh, whatever the late season uh, Ironman is, I will do that. Whether it's Florida or Arizona, yeah. Um, I kind of, I kind of wish Ironman would have put in at least two more opportunities within the pro series to have a full distance because right now it's pretty slim pickings. It's not good um like the races are just too close together like if if i were to do lake placid in frankfurt they're like four weeks apart or three weeks apart yeah there's not a lot of opportunity for sure yeah so yeah and like if i wanted to get the full season and i'm trying to think like there's there's almost no way for me to get three iron mans and two 70.3s in uh that are on the series like just looking at it unless i want to drop 30 grand in travel well, that's why this sport is really tough right now because travel prices, accommodation prices, rental car prices, they've all but tripled. Um, some of them better than others. I guess flights you can forecast out pretty well with a little bit cheaper, but still going to Europe is right, used to be 12, 1300 bucks. Now it's right around 18 to $2,500. Yeah. yeah. Rental cars used to be for a week between maybe five and 700 now it's like i can't even fathom what they are it's the rental car prices are uh, like i've never seen it's i've never seen it before Uh, we used to be able to rent a car like we go to florida for a week for training camp used to be able to rent a car for two three hundred bucks and like that's what i paid for three days in florida um last month yeah it's crazy but yeah um i got two training camps planned this winter so we got the cozumel one which, um, you know, if you're listening to this and you want to get away last second, guys, we, we got space, all-inclusive resort down in in um, Mexico. And you get to train with us. Like, you the can't dates. beat The dates, 17 through 24 January, of course. Um, where I, I think people can show up as late as they want. You know, I can just add you to the list. You just got to let me know. Yeah, exactly. And then uh, I'm going to spend two weeks down in Florida, end of February, beginning of March, to nice. uh, hang out with my boy, Lauren, and awesome. uh, get away and get some riding in. Last year, I only did one weekend of training camp, really. Are you going to Claremont? Yeah, we're going to Claremont. Uh, Claremont for a week, and then we're moving down to Kissimmee, because everyone knows Kissimmee has the best riding in Florida. Well... <laughs> 
I don't know. I think everything outside of Claremont's getting pushed further outside more, like because the it's expanded a lot. Even the Haines City area between Kissimmee, Claremont, Haines City, like your bubble has just gotten so big yeah. for traffic and housing. Yeah. It's, it's scary to ride there sometimes. Yeah. Uh Claremont has a good trail network, so you can get, I mean, you know, uh that so you can get out to like some half decent riding um and then some running. But the clay, the 10 mile clay trail is done. It's over. Yep. The, it's all houses. It's all houses now. Well, the little bits houses, but it's all starting to develop now. I know. Well, all right. Well, maybe we should get into this episode. Yeah, let's roll into this episode. Well, enjoy it. Have fun. Learn about some altitude training and altitude in general. Tense. Welcome back to the show. We have one of the most, I guess, maybe years ago, it was one of the hottest topics. Now the it was blood lactate testing, and then it was, and now it's CDA. But now I think we're going to delve into a region that is incredibly practical, can make a difference on everybody's training, um, altitude, uh, I guess, even supplemental altitude training, whether you live at altitude or you even have a mechanism that you sleep in, or let's say some people are rich enough to have an altitude house. There's all kinds of ways to do it. We've got a guest today. Uh, Rico, what is your last name? Because I only see Rico here. I've only seen it on your emails. Is Rico, what, what's your last name? <laughs> Rico Rogers. Rico um, Rogers, man. Thank you so much for being here. Um, you have been on a professional cycling team. You've lived the lifestyle um, on a world tour team, I'm guessing is, is crazy. Can't even imagine. Yeah. Yeah. So I wrote uh, Pro Ponty sort of level and um yeah it was very challenging i found it i found it really hard um i mean physically yeah it's just it's very taxing on you and you live in it the whole time which is you know you live breathe eat and and ride it's about it and race obviously but no i i really enjoyed that side of it and i had uh had the opportunity to um do it to a high level and had fun miss some great people along the way yeah i think that's the the golden ticket is we're always going to meet good people even though there's a lot of a lot of shit out there um jackson you're here too you've got yourself an altitude tent you've trained with me at altitude we've done altitude training before races there's some significant benefits that you've found um and obviously there's pros and cons to every type of training with this whether it's more stress which it is more stress um, recovery is diminished so rico with your experience why have you decided to create even a whole company about revolving around supplemental altitude training for for athletes what, what pushed you to do that um it was basically because i wasn't using or when i was racing i wasn't using um equipment that i deemed good enough um, and in part, it was probably due to my my significant other, now my wife, um, complaining to me about it. She'd never really want to go back into the tent. And it's like I'd, I'd research all of the positives for everyday people. She's not an athlete. Um, and then instead of that, I was just like, you know what? I can make this better so it's comfortable for her. And then um, through her high, high threshold of, of wanting it to be comfortable, I made it better and better and better. And suddenly... I had something that was really comfortable 
and then it was a matter of, I suppose, um, making it more user-friendly for everyday people and, and scaling it to a certain extent. Yeah, that makes yeah. sense to me perfectly. I owned a hypoxico tent in the earlier stages of my professional career because I was looking for every marginal gain I could get because I lived in Florida of all places and had racing against people who lived in Boulder and all these great altitude places. So I wanted to see if that worked. Unfortunately for me, it wasn't as much of a response that I was looking for. I was super, super early in my career. As you mentioned, the tent, the bubble, it's uncomfortable because it gets hot. Um, it's a bit, you know, tough to get in and out of if you've got to use the restroom. So uh, I think Jackson, have you experienced any of the, those little things with your altitude kind of bubble over your mattress? Yeah, definitely. Um, the temperature gets up there, it gets humid in there. Um, and you have to kind of like, it just gets humid and things get kind of damp in there. So you have to wash your sheets a lot more and there's a couple of things like that, but, um, getting in and out of it's like, if you have to get up and pee in the middle of the night or something a little bit on the annoying side, but, um, yeah, I mean, relatively small things, especially if you're sleeping on your own, if you're sleeping with a partner, going to be a harder sell for them for sure i hear that um so yeah that's kind of you know on the on the on the let's call them the uh the cons list um it was significant for sure and then you're kind of like trying to figure out how to make it comfortable enough and i was able to bring a little fan in there to keep it cooler so that helped for me and there was a the one i have has like a bit of an air exchange so it's not just like stagnant air in there and that helps to keep the temperature like not too too bad for sure okay so those are the pro or the cons necessarily but jackson for your experience um rico i want to get yours too but jackson your experience with altitude in general what has it been uh i found so with the tent um i saw like with my own you know quarterly blood blood tests that I just do as part of my normal health check-ins, my hematocrit did increase um, to higher levels than what it had been. So that probably helped. I mean, I, I had, it's hard to, it's really hard to put any sort of concrete, concrete um, sort of numbers to anything in terms of like performance, because there's so many moving parts at any given time. Right. So, um, I had a pretty good year, um, maybe not my best year, maybe, maybe close to on par with my best years. And, um, you know, I probably had better, you know, oxygen carrying capacity, but maybe I was lacking a little bit more in other areas and your training's never exactly the same. So it's kind of hard to compare, but for sure yeah. the numbers are there in terms of the hematocrit. So it's like, there is, um, there is that data there, which I have years of data. So that's something that's certainly increased. Um, unfortunately, you know, you don't win a race because your red blood cell count went up from 0.42 to 0.44. You win a race because you went the fastest. So it's, it's about converting those gains into something that's, that's going to work. Um, that's going to actually make you better. And also, you know, the, the difficulties of like just the little inconveniences of the altitude tent. Are you sleeping as much? Is the issues with your partner worth it? Like, you know, those types of things. So. Uh, for me, I think it's been good, and I think I'll certainly use it, continue to use it. But it's uh, it's not, it's uh, there's a lot of moving parts. Let's say so. It's really difficult to really pin down any sort of like gains from it. 
Okay. I, I think that's a great point from a, a real user of your situation. It's obviously you live in Guelph, Ontario, pretty low altitude. So you've got to try to get what you can. Otherwise you're going to Font Rameau or coming Park City or even a little bit at St. George. We're at 3000 feet. So there's some gains, but yeah, it's, it's the whole machine that makes a difference. And, and Rico, of course, um, you've developed box altitude. Looks like you are the official supplier for Yumbo Visma. Obviously, big teams, big performance gains, everything very to the finest detail measured. Um, from your experience as a professional cyclist, and also as now you've transitioned to a full-fledged, I guess, manufacturer of tools that help athletes get massive gains, what do you think about this entire ecosystem that you're being becoming part of? Um, I think Jackson's completely right in the sense that, yeah, it's all in part, it's about getting all of the details, right. Um, oxygen carrying capability is, is pretty fundamental, which is why obviously VO2 max is pretty much the, the unit standard for measuring people's, um, ability. So that's sort of what we sort of try and tie it with. Um, so although your yeah, hematocrit Jackson probably went up by, by let's say two points, um, your VO2 max follows that by 0.5 to 0.7. So it's a very strong relationship between, actually um, hemoglobin mass, it's side two, but a very strong relationship to your VO2 max. And so what we sort of encourage or, or talk about hand in hand is also um, sleep hygiene. So having really great sleep practices around, um, not just sleeping at altitude, but sleeping in general which is actually quite helpful. And then on top of that, we, we encourage people to, to, I suppose, err on the side of caution or to incrementally go up. So what we've, what we can do is say, listen, um, start off the, um, start off the set at 5,000 feet and then increase it to sort of 8,000 feet. And so the reason that we'd do that is because we know that if you if you go straight to that 8,000 feet, your heart rate spikes from, not from 5%, but sort of 10 to 15% increase, which then um, significantly increases your, um, your heat or your temperature while you're asleep. And then your respiration rate, all of the things just sort of shoot up. And it's like, that's probably what causes most people their sleep discomfort. Yeah, and then on top of that, if you've got sleep discomfort and you're you've got a high VO two max, your partner that's potentially not an athlete um, could well be struggling even more than what you are, which is obviously pretty counterproductive to your um, relationship happiness. Um, yeah, we do do well, a lot about that. Is the best advice for anybody who's looking to invest in a home altitude supplementation routine or or just to put it in the guest room and you might have to spend some nights away from your partner. I mean, is that the best advice or do you think it's tolerable to the point where it won't cause a, a, a breakup or divorce? Well, it depends how sh shaky <laughs> your ground is <laughs> to start off with. <laughs> some people <laughs> start on the rocks and it's a slippery slope. Um, yeah. I mean, I, I believe it's better to get your partner. Uh, I mean, with my partner, I always, I didn't, I never wanted to sleep apart because it's just not good for long-term longevity. For, Absolutely for agree. Um, so I did a lot to, to get her on board. 
um, what we do do is sort of we list all of the benefits, you know, whether it be um, lowering the risk of heart disease, increasing autophagy, um, which is repairing RNA and DNA chain. We also sort of say towards the, I suppose, the killer blow towards the end is, and by the way, you, you lose weight quite, you burn more calories quite simply when you sleep in these systems, which it's all completely true. And actually you can get significant um, drops in weight over sort of like six to eight week periods. Um, and also you can increase sleep quality, which is pretty, um, I suppose, controversial, I suppose, at the moment. Um, so what we've sort of seen is because we've sort of got quieter systems, we've got systems that you can control from your phone and say, listen, don't go above, I don't know, um, was it 5,000 or 6,000 feet? you'll sleep really well, you know, and in some cases you can, or it can help you go to sleep. So it seems to be the, the lesser concentration of oxygen actually can help you fall asleep as well. Um, so I suppose we try to yeah, work with people so they, they can stay together through it. I, I do generally believe that every, everyone can get, um, physiological improvement from it whether you're an athlete or non-athlete i personally uh, look at you can get your website website boxaltitude.com um it's elegant it looks it doesn't look like a medical device that is there to keep somebody alive like sometimes altitude tents can look like a big tubes and machines everywhere it can look a little bit you know not so eye friendly but you've got a really nice rigid stand around the, the bed frame, a lot of space between the bed and the walls, which I think is the most valuable aspect. It doesn't feel like you're very packed in tight. So I think that is, that's massive. Um, so I think the app also that you can control from inside the tent with your altitude sensor, looks like it pairs quite nicely. Um, so honestly, it looks like you've identified some holes within this typical altitude process at home and you've tried to make it better and what improvements have you found that made the best experience um i suppose noise and control control is the biggest one because without yeah without being able to know and control the system you're kind of at this at the machine's mercy um so that's been really pivotal because like I said before, you do really, you know, I mean, wearables have been a great device, you know, they've been a really, um, I suppose, pivotal thing as well, because I mean, I use an Apple watch and I, I look at my heart rate and heart rate variability and blood oxygen content. And I don't, I don't believe that 100% accurate. I think they're about 70 something percent, but yet that data that we're getting from that, is invaluable, you know. SBO2 um, is is really helpful when we're looking at these devices. I think that's that's singularly the the biggest improvement we've been able to notice is that just quantifying your stress in your body, it's really cool. We have we present blood oxygen content and heart rate on on the app as well through Apple um, API. I I think that I mean it's wearables really that that has brought that upper level. Okay. And then in terms of, you know, your SPO or your, your blood ox oxygen saturation during the evening or during the night, 
do you think it's, I think there's conflicting data now that shows it's, it might be better to go down and then up through a, a period of time um, just to kind of keep the body always transitioning. Um, and that gets a little bit more benefit. Um, and obviously you can check that by watching your blood oxygen saturation go from what is the standards 92 or 93% and then, or is it higher? Is it 95? 96 around. Okay. Yeah, and then, and like last, last night, mine was 96. We went at altitudes. Okay. And then it'll go down to, you know, 89 or something if you're at a certain amount of meters. So I think maybe your app has the probably best opportunity to control the machine for all these situations, no matter what you're looking for. Yeah. So what we actually do is we, um, through the, through the process of it, the, the, um, machine will go up hundred past set point and then drop and then come kick in hundred below. And then throughout that, it creates a, a stressor all night long, um, which is really helpful. But also you have to look at it. What we've found is that with, with altitude, you, you have your, your, your SPO2 will drop, but your heart rate will increase. So you might get a really great, what you see is a really great response and be at sort of 88, 89 SPO2, but, and you'll be quite high, but your heart rate will be really pounding away. And it's like, we kind of try and educate people and say, listen, it's the two measurements. It's not just one, you know, um, which is quite challenging because people get fixated on, on one particular point. Um, and we also take a look at um, heart rate efficiency as well throughout the night. So you might, you might naturally have a, a low heart rate, let's say average beats of 40 a night. Um, and then when you go into the tent, it drop, drops up or comes up by, let's say, 10%. So your lowest point is 44. And then if you can hit that, let's say two to three weeks after you're acclimatized, um, that's a really good sign that you're processing oxygen really efficiently. You know, um, there's lots of variables that um, like studies, studies have been really good. And we do follow a lot of the Australian Institute of Sports studies because they've been really well funded and, and really robust. Um, but then again, now these wearables have got so much data that it's just like we probably through that we've probably got more data than I've collected over 10 studies over the course of two or three nights, which is pretty interesting. Yeah, that's massive. Now, I think I've always been a bit of um, not not necessarily a critic of altitude tents, but more just um, curious, I'd say. I've technically done tons of probably like 20 or 30 altitude um, camps experiences. And I've always raced incredibly well after spending two to three weeks. I at one time was partnered with uh, this company, it was called Ember or something like that. And they were measuring blood altitude saturation at altitude with heart rate variability and all this. It was like just a finger sensor. It was measuring, measuring a lot of things. And it would kind of just help you understand how long you needed to be at altitude before it was no longer valuable because you've already kind of adapted, you've done well enough and why spend more time in a stressful environment where your body's maybe not recovering enough and then go race. So that's kind of where I've always been like, is it only valuable for a couple of weeks, two or three weeks, seven to 14 days, or is it more is more? Should you live there all the time? Even if 
you're not there. Um, it's, it's a really point of very versatile answers because everybody's lifestyles are quite different. And I guess, what is your ideal situation? Would it be to, to just live at altitude and then go train at lower altitudes? Uh, or, I'm sorry, go race at lower altitudes so you can obviously get the benefits? Or would you say everybody who lives at zero foot sea level should have a tent if they're planning to have highest end pro performance at the best races? Yeah, I think what what the studies say or the, what the AIS, Australian Institute of Sport, um, really pushed with was spend 200 hours at 3,000 meters, at least 10 hours a day. And it's like 3,000 meters is about 14% oxygen content. And mo- the majority of people, they can't sleep well at that so you've got a really i suppose narrow time frame to to either make it or get broken by it so what was sort of said is listen at at i think it was at um 3000 meters you get about 6.7% increase in hemoglobin mass so that's sort of like 5.3% increase in vo2 max whereas you your recovery is not terrible, but it's not good if you've. So what we say is, listen, go up to sort of eight thousand feet or two and a half thousand meters, and spend the majority of time at that. And if you do have a hard training block, pair it back and do two hundred to two hundred and fifty hours. And then after you've done your block of sleeping at altitude, go in and supplement at least eight hours a week, but do it maybe eight to let's say one to three nights a week. The reason being, um, if you can do that, you can kind of keep your blood um, level really high. And so there's no drop off if it's in excess of eight hours a week or there's very little. So instead, you suppose you get your your blood high and then you just sort of top up the whole time or sort of microdose with altitude to make sure that it stays high. And that we see is is what's going to break world records in the future and has broken world records um, at the moment. I love it. Microdosing with altitude. I think that's a great, great selling point for any athlete looking to see how far they can go. I mean, the expense obviously isn't super high. It used to be much higher. If I was looking at tents, it was eight to 10,000 just for any standard home bubble. Um, Your units look to be very affordable in terms of, what other athletes are spending on maintenance and traveling camps and all kinds of stuff. It's, it's not even a big expense anymore. Um, and real quick, sorry, Jackson to your, you've done both, right? You've, you've, you've lived with me at 3000 meters and we've trained at, you know, 2200 meters. Um, and then you've, you know, you've got the tent. Have you found, you know, roughly same experience, um, outcome? Um, I found it to be really different. So I, with the altitude tent, I like built it up really slowly. I started at like low, like a thousand meters and then put it up like a couple hundred meters every night. And then at certain points I was sleeping at like above 3000 meters. Um, for a long time, actually, there was significant chunks of time where I was at around 3000 just consistently. And I didn't, since I went up so slowly, I didn't really notice an effect on my sleep too much. Um, and that it just felt like, it just kind of felt like there was no difference in terms of 
training for a while and then um it did seem to it's it's it seemed to help for some reason with me especially with cycling just to be able to sustain like a higher a higher effort especially at like upper aerobic efforts it felt like um and then also just my numbers with cycling this year have been better like my average power output in races has been higher than ever before. So it's been massive watching you be like, you're one of the top five cyclists in, in triathlon right now, for sure. Like absolutely it's your numbers are nuts. So that's really helped. I, I think, but at the same time, my run has this kind of run and swim. I've kind of stayed the same. So it's, it's hard. It's hard to see anything there for sure. But in terms of how it feels going to altitude way different um, because you're going like you you're training at the altitude that's the difference really so i think i get a benefit for a short period of time actually training at altitude and i don't think it's red blood cell i think it's like it's more anaerobic um i don't know like i've heard that there's some speculation that you might get like a an increase in your lactate buffering capacity because you're requiring more anaerobic energy to do your intervals. So your body's essentially getting this huge extra surge of anaerobic training, um, which is probably not sustainable for super long periods of time. But if you go to altitude for a couple of weeks and you're kind of getting a different stimulus right away, and then you come back down, that's where I've noticed like, holy, that was like a boost in my, especially swimming. And it feels more anaerobic than anything, but uh, hard to sort of uh, like definitely doing intervals and coming back down or doing surges in a race, you seem to recover from them better. That's what I've noticed with actually going to altitude. Um, so totally different experiences for me. Uh, but hard, hard to compare with the altitude tent because you're only in it when you're sleeping. So um, the changes are obviously a lot more gradual and not as noticeable. But that's a good point to bring up too, Rico. Also, when I was, when I had my altitude I guess, machine, um, I would hook up the face mask and I would do like VO2 efforts at 2,500 meters, just breathing through the mask. I'd watch my SPO drop, you know, to 82 and I'd be basically dying and then I'd recover, take the mask off and, and feel better. Um, do you think that training inside the, the tent or with the mask or inside your, your box also yields really, really high output um, for training? Um, yeah, so there's different mechanisms, I suppose. Um, so when you're training at it, there's, there's a couple of things that are really cool. Um, so far as, um, you get an increase, a 40% increase in reticulite cells, which are baby red blood cells, which is really, really pretty interesting. And then with training at it, there's this enzyme called 2,3-DPG. Now, what that does is that tells your body how much oxygen um, to absorb so generally we absorb about eight percent of what we inhale whereas that can push it right up to 25 percent wow and so what yeah what that does is let's say you fly to somewhere at three thousand meters and so the first response you'll get so that you can actually cope with it is that dpg so it's like if i put it in terms of your body's like shit we're at we're in a hypoxic environment um, we need to absorb more. So it's like a very quick response before any, um, before any more efficient blood cells get made. So the more efficient blood cells get made in about a hundred hours. Um, and so that's why we sort of say, listen, 
do it over 200 to 250 hours because then we know with 100% certainty that it's going to it's gonna be working and, and beneficial. And so that's sort of probably what it is. And then furthermore to Jackson's point of, so what happens when you increase your HB mass or your oxygen carrying capability is if one part of oxygen goes to your muscles, it takes two parts of carbon away, which essentially the buildup of carbon is um, lactic acid. Yeah, and so if you do that, yeah, you're definitely more efficient at uh, at your anaerobic threshold or capacity, which is pretty pretty cool. The whole thing, and then carbohydrates, you're more efficient at burning carbohydrates as well or processing processing them. And so that carbohydrate thing these days, I mean, from when I was racing to now, the whole the book has been rewritten about how much we can absorb with carbohydrates which I think is really interesting in itself. But we also know that with um, with having spent time at altitude or in altitude tents, you are more efficient at it. So theoretically, you should be able to sustain a higher threshold for longer. Um, I haven't actually read any studies on that. Uh, it would be interesting to, to pick through that sort of stuff as well. All that data makes a lot of sense, especially since we can measure everything every every day on the regular athlete, you don't even have to be in a lab anymore. And all the wearables you've mentioned, they've made a huge deficit or a huge smash into the, the world of what actually you should be investing in. So I would say Rico, if you could recommend to an athlete who really wants to take their performance to a considerable level, um, elite level or professional level. Um, and also, you know, if you're just a, want to be a local hero, what do you think the top three investments should be in, in terms of equipment? Um, uh, um, well, the thing is, is that I, I've always compared it to sort of, because I've been a road cyclist, comparing it to a set of race wheels. It's like, yeah, you can invest in race wheels, but you only get them on race day. Otherwise, unless you're racing your mates. So, I mean, if it's a price comparative sort of thing. I think altitude tents are a really good way to, to do it. I think you can get some really great second-hand altitude systems out there. I mean, as I mentioned earlier, I think um, I'm not just a, a proponent of our particular system. I think all altitude systems you can get good gain from. Um, I know that ours is really comfortable and really great, but yet if you've got access to also training camps, um, a cost-effective price, I don't think many are a cost-effective price, but I would probably look to to do an altitude tent or and there's other things you can do as well like um you can increase your cell volume blood cell volume by training yeah. in a um in a hot chamber well sorry it's a um sauna what's a sauna yeah um the only thing with that is that you have to rehydrate and i think that's not quite as efficient but yet for someone that was going to be racing in a hot temperature let's say if you're going to race in kona and you're you're in the middle of winter or whatever, wherever you are in the world, um, you kind of have to do that too. But yeah, I think you need to look at look at your budget and, um, and go accordingly to that as well. Yeah, I think a trip to altitude is well more expensive than an altitude chamber, um, especially over the course of three weeks or now. Like living at Park City for three weeks. Um, that'll, that'll be very costly unless you can stay for free. That's the only way I, I can do it. 
as I stay with friends who just happen to live at altitude. So that makes my life much easier. But I would for sure, like, I love the training in the box altitude tent. I think that that would be pretty much an ideal scenario to where you can set yourself up to train in these really stressful, high output intervals and get maximum adaptation. You're really forcing a lot. But I think because I've seen those numbers when I've done it on myself and it was like, holy crap, I just really put my body into a place where it's going to have to be forced to really pivot and and oversaturate and boost blood volume and get my hematocrit up. But also the mental fortitude to be able to push through. It's like when you're coming, I guess the best example, when you're at altitude and you're training, everything feels a bit harder. You've got to rest a lot more. You've got to hydrate like a, like a professional hydrator. But then when you go down to sea level, or even if it's really hot and you're coming down from altitude, it just feels like you've got another gear that just lasts a long time. It makes the pain, the pain's the same, but the tolerance level to that pain becomes much higher. So that's where the altitude really makes a lot of sense once you've felt the benefits in an event, especially for me, swimming. Swimming, you could produce, I mean, for, for triathletes especially, You've just done a barely a warm up. You've been standing around. You've had all these carbs in you. You've pretty much it's earlier than hell. You're not really training this early, and you're just gonna just hit the green button and go max effort. So having the ability to for your body to buffer all of that excess stress and lactic acid and make you feel like you're just in it. Your your ability to be acutely aware. It just feels like it's higher. So that's why I really focus on trying to get an altitude tent or a, not, not a tent, excuse me, an altitude camp before a major race. And uh, we did a, a three week camp in park city and then went to Tromblant 70.3. And that was, that race was canceled because of wildfires. So it was like three weeks was just kind of evaporated, but that's another point, Rico, I think, you know, how long do you see these benefits last um, in, in your opinion or via some data you know, if you've gone to altitude for a couple of weeks or you're using the tent routinely and you've got to be out of it for a week, what would you expect the prime, I guess, execution of your event within being out of altitude or how long does it last afterwards? What do you think? Um, according to the studies, a lot of the peak numbers get done seven days post altitude, which is really interesting. Um, we sort of, you know, and then, I suppose two weeks is still pretty high, but the the record numbers go that post one week. Um, we really we really push hard for that people to supplement with those eight hours a week as a minimum. Um, I think that for for people like let's say for example NBA players is going to be sort of one of the final frontiers because then if you can do that and they're probably only at home two or three nights a week, unfortunately for them, but that being able to keep your blood level high. Um, so they sort of say that after two weeks, your, your blood starts to drop off. And so if you can sort of keep that, keep that at steady state and then potentially do some, um, some blocks throughout the season, that would be really great or lead up to a significant race. Um, that would be really key. Not everyone's got that luxury, obviously, but yet, um, if I was, if I had my time over, knowing how to selected amounts, I would really pick on a key race and set of races and really really i suppose focus on that and focus my altitude around that you know although it's putting your eggs in one basket yeah 
yeah, you have to. I think, especially these days. Like, I, I heard a saying years and years ago. And I didn't really pay much attention, but it was basically like this: is, they made a comment about pro athletes. Like pro athletes back in the day used to go to bed tired and wake up um, refreshed. Pro athletes these days go to bed tired and wake up tired. And it's just like it's kind of true. You, as an athlete now, you you get paid to to have sore legs, have sore body, and you know shattered virtually all of the time. Yeah, the demands in the numbers that we're seeing, the increases of power, watching even these tour riders, they're like as frail as a skeleton on some of them. And it feels like, how can they possibly sustain this for three weeks? It's crazy, but they're paid to do it. They force themselves to do it. They've got a protocol and the technology allows them to ride that red line, excuse me, much finer than I think any any time in our sporting careers as, as cyclists or athletes in the endurance world. And this level of technology that you're providing also just helps maintain that edge. So I think it's, it's a really cool process. And I don't remember a whole lot of really good studies, maybe five or six, maybe four or five years ago when I, when I had looked at my tent and stuff, it was all older data. I'm sure there's a ton more. But I certainly even living in St. George where it's relatively low altitude um, to prevent myself to having to go to these camps. Like it's a good investment, I think, for an athlete like myself who's still trying to find some gains. And I think the other thing is, you know, blood plasma level increases. That's a big one, especially if you're going to a hot race. Um, And I've noticed most importantly in the hot races, it just doesn't feel like it's as hot. So I think it's cool. do you, you know, do you still use one today, Rico? Do you still use it on the regular? Yeah, we have a whole bedroom at it. Yeah, we do bedrooms as well. Um, and the bedroom's about like nine or 10,000 US as well. Um, so yeah, we do. We sleep in it virtually all year long. Um, I travel a lot with work, so, um, which is pretty challenging if you want to keep in those eight hours a week. Um, but yeah, I think like um, the majority of the, the top tier athletes are still using our tent-based system, but some have graduated, I suppose, to the um, to the whole bedroom. Uh, we have had some customers that have, uh, this is in Australia, that have, or one in particular, bought an altitude bedroom and didn't tell us significant other or wife. It was just like, the, uh, <laughs> we're just, we're just going to start sleeping with the door closed, honey. And it's like, you can't tell. I mean, it's dead quiet and that sort of thing. And yeah, you just control it from your phone, but it's like, I kind of don't really believe that, that you can do that. But yeah, I think if we, we always sort of say it's all education based. If we can educate really efficiently and sort of get the point across about how how good it can be for your body, then, then people buy. Um, and it's open conversations and it's just, I suppose, drawing attention to, attention to the simple fact. And, and perhaps if if there was another like-minded company like ours, it might be better because then you, then you've got the the same messaging, you know, do this and and you'll be really good. But yeah, because we're sort of alone at the moment, it's, it's fine, but then you can, it'll be quite good if, if there was someone else that was thinking from the same hymn sheet, if you know what I mean. Rico, how do you feel about the, I've seen, I've seen a lot of these like bro science things where it's, you put those masks on and you just strictly do oxygen depletion uh, because 
to my knowledge, most of these oxygen tents or altitude tents, ex excuse me, they're basically just buffering with nitrogen to kind of reduce the oxygen content. So you're not getting a lot of the same pressure um, as you would or the lack of a different pressure at alt actual altitude. So for me, that's where I noticed the difference. But when I see these athletes who are putting on these oxygen restriction masks and just killing themselves during running or uphill, like, what do you think about those? <laughs> I, I don't often watch B and D videos, to be honest. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's a pretty weird thing. Like, I mean, realistically, if you really want to do that, it's it's just not it's just not actually altitude, and a lot of it's time based. So, yeah, it's fine. You could actually sellotape up a couple of straws on your on your nose and, and mouth, and probably get the same effect. Um, I I say good luck to them. Um, I do see a lot of really terrible science out there or people that refer to terrible science. And I mean, ours, we've kind of tied ourselves to, to the facts um, and what's been broadly studied. Um, we can't deviate too far from that. We just, we're a, we're a scientific company rather than a um, hope company. Um, placebo works perhaps, but I'd rather rely on the science rather than gimmicks. Um, yeah, I think, and for us and for me in particular, I think it's really great to stand by, stand by something like that. I don't think I could actually hand on heart stand, stand anywhere and, and be a proponent of it if it didn't work. Um, I'm sure there's people that, that don't believe in it. And I'm sure there's people that believe that the earth is flat, but yet there's less and less. And some of these top tier athletes that we work with, um, they're like, oh, it's a coincidence. I just, I seem to have bought your system and now I'm, I'm winning stuff, but I did a whole bunch of things. So it can't be that. It's like, okay, sure. <laughs> we'll take that. You know, it's, um, yeah, I, I think we're, we're doing something nice and unique. Um, and you know, I'm, I'm excited to on the peripheries being involved with, with, um, people that are breaking records, um, and achieving their goals. I think, Actually, one of the ones fairly recently was the guy had a had a heart issue um, post some COVID vaccine, and then the altitude system seemed to help him with more regular heartbeats and all sorts of things. I think there's a lot of science out there that that isn't available or hasn't been studied, and it's kind of like I just I think in the future we'll we'll have more I suppose more well-rounded science around the everyday benefits, but yet. It'll take a while, I think. That makes sense. I think anytime we can in induce some different levels of stress response on all the billions of different body types and mindsets, we're going to get a lot of generalities, but we're also going to get some really cool outliers that are going to give some amazing breakthroughs for this technology. So this is the depth of what we're seeing for altitude training and performances and pushing the limits on every level. Um, this is probably, as you've probably stated earlier, like this is probably going to be one of the things that everybody is just going to have to do if you want to be one of the best in the world uh, continuously. Yeah, I think that there's a lot that are doing it. We, we sell a lot of systems to people that are at the very pointy end of their sports, especially um, endurance athletes, and very, very few of them 
um, do any posting about it. You know, we've seen some with the the tent in the background and and the partner being like, um, yeah, I'm not happy about something or something. <laughs> it's like we know because like you know we're fans of sport, so we know who they are that are buying the systems, and we pretty much keep it to ourselves because it's kind of like in confidence i suppose that you're buying a system from us but yeah we're we're a fan we see the results stack up and and we're like we're kind of cheering from the background you know which is cool i, I love it question about the rooms the altitude rooms um how does the room work room, room work versus the tent is it just like a more powerful unit that's able to actually um deoxygenate the entire room and do you need to like seal any and under the doors and stuff like that yeah well firstly you need to i suppose close the door at night you know and then um we typically put a rubber seal around the inside of the door and there are actually seals that within the door if it's a big drafty door you can have a, a seal that shuts down uh, when it's closed and then the majority of houses um, especially bedrooms are sealed well enough that don't really have to do anything most most modern houses have got rubber seals on the windows and, and they're all sealed up enough. Like if you live in a hot or cold environment, that's mandated typically, well, especially in Australia, that it's um, it's efficient enough. And so, yeah, we, we pretty much do that. And then you put a diffuser into the room and hide all of this and ducting. Like, and so we hide that as well and then have the machine that sits on the outside of the building so you can't hear the machine. It's kind of one of the key components of it, I suppose. So the idea is really to to not have any noise in the in the room, and not be able to smell, hear, or or see it. Um, and then yeah, have it on the outside of the building or or in a garage or or somewhere where it's not going to be within earshot. You know, they're about I think about sixty two decibels, which is about the same as a outside air conditioner air inverter. So it's pretty. We, we believe it's a pretty efficient way and it's an easy way to install actually any any home handyman can do it um you know there are some some people that just haven't got a mechanical bone in their body and and they can do they can get an air conditioning expert to do it and it's all it's all pretty easy it's not super hard yeah i think that's probably the the number one best <laughs> best case scenario put some ducting in get a unit mounted to the outside seal it up and you're in altitude anytime you're in your bedroom after it's been deoxygenated. I, I like it. That's super easy. The hardest part for me was like forcing myself to zip myself into a tent for eight hours. Cause sometimes that can be a bit tough. Yeah. That's why we picked on night times, you know? Um, yeah. And yeah, I suppose, I mean, I, as an athlete, I always infuse it into my everyday routine. So I would, let's say, I'd go out training from, from 9 a.m. Till, till 2 p.m. and I would turn the altitude tent on when I got home and then I'd have my protein and, and water and go to go to bed for a while and then get an hour or a couple of hours then and then at night time. I think it's it's challenging for everybody to, to really clock up the hours, um, but yet if you can make it as comfortable as possible and with ours, we have a scheduler. So you, you schedule your whole week in advance. So you're like, so oh, I'm going to probably go to bed at, I don't know, 
nine o'clock or ten o'clock, I'll have the zip tent zip down and have it start at eight or whatever time, you know, to get to altitude and then I'll just go in and it'll turn itself off in the morning. Um I think that's quite a good advantage as well. I think I mean it's just it's programmed in, you know. Like have you have you seen anything? Um, this kind of be the last question I ask, but have you seen anything specifically for, you know, athletes that are, you know, over 50, is that probably more of a better time to start adding this type of stimulus to maintain some longevity? Has that been a benefit for as we age? Yeah, I think it's one of the, it's one of the key things that you should do. It's going to increase your lifespan and your, um, they call the other one the health span or whatever it's yeah it's getting if you increase your vo2 max you're increasing both of those you know and it's just like it's just a smarter way to be you know you'll you'll have healthier blood you have increased vo2 you'll be able to walk up more flights of stairs yeah i think in increased cognitive threshold you you know there's lots and lots of benefits but yet convincing 55 is actually pretty pretty easy to convince them it's the 65 plus that get a bit um bit challenged but also it's like it's those tech early adopters that are really the first ones with that stuff um and in the us it's a lot easier than here i would say like the market for longevity is a lot more mature than what it is here um i was really impressed with the last couple of trips to the us that i had done um it's just people understand you know, I think the time is really, it's getting really close for this sort of system to be able to be broadly put out through that, the whole, well, probably the top 20% of wage earners at first. Yeah. I mean, we're all having to work into our eighties just to survive these days. So we might as well keep our, keep healthy as much as we can. Um, and retiring early at eighties. <laughs> <laughs> it's my retirement age probably. Uh, but well, we go straight into the grave. Well, yeah, man. I think I think the bike will be attached to you when that happens, uh, no doubt. But but Rico, thanks for for being part of this episode. I think it's been great to talk about altitude first and foremost because that is a really really hot topic that just hasn't kind of been rejuvenated yet with all the other noise in the space. And I think it's it is some low hanging fruit, especially if you can live at altitude. Good for you. You're you've done something good for yourself. It's oftentimes expensive because it's at a ski town or in a nice place, but you've also got to survive some tough winters and some cold temps. And the pool access at altitude is also sometimes tough. So there's really maybe ten or fifteen really good places to live that you can do everything as a endurance athlete in, but you're gonna have to pay for that. It's it's quite expensive for the places at least I've been. Um, but I think your innovations, yeah. your, your, your views being a, a pro cyclist, um, we didn't talk about anything red flagged in the pro cycling community, which I've made sure not to, to even go into, cause that's a whole other can of worms. Cause I just always have all kinds of questions about pro cycling, but I won't do it. Uh, but anything else yeah. you'd like to leave us with, um, and aside from that, your, your show, every, all the links and everything will be in our show notes. Um, no, I think it's just really um, embracing it and learning, you know. Google is such a powerful tool as well. You know, if you can learn about all this stuff. Like the majority of what we actually refer to is readily available. Uh, you just have to Google it. 
it's or Google Scholar is also a great place to get peer-reviewed articles. And there's a lot of stuff I've just looked at the other day because we were getting ready for this on altitude. Yeah. And it's like and some of those um really in-depth sort of articles, you just read the abstract and the conclusion, and that's a really good idea. Um and a lot of them it is free resources, you know, you don't actually have to sign up for a paid account, which is pretty pretty unique. I was pretty surprised when that happened. I was expecting a bill. But yeah, lots of great data. Lots of really gun scientists out there. Um yeah. You know, I think it's and there's some of the some of the guys that have been in the been in Australia have actually relocated to the US um as well. You know, some of the heads of the NBA performance are, are there now. And so I think in the top tier of sport it will become more and more um well, more and more used. Well we're looking at your website. I see you've you work with Bahrain Victorious. Um I don't know if you've worked with any of the 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 Michael Gilliam or or with Mauna or Maca, but we gotta get Real Tri Squad as a as our partner on there. We gotta we're trying to beat Bahrain on everything one day. Um, yeah, well, actually, I, I talked to, I don't know if you, you must be familiar with Cam Worth. Um, oh, I did a talk oh, yeah. with him not so long ago. We love Cam. Um, yeah, he, you know what, one of the most legit guys you could ever meet. A really lovely guy to spend time with. Um, I had the pleasure to ride with him a couple of times and do that talk. Um, yeah, really legitimate athlete. I think he's he's lucky that he's found Ironman as well. I think it's a real... Um, it's a real test for his physiological ability. Um, I think it's really exciting to see someone like that. You know, I think his personality comes out more, more and more. Um, yeah, I think it's it's pretty cool. But yeah, I've, that certainly brought me uh, brought my attention to Iron Man, I suppose. And yeah. I've got a lot a lot of respect for it, um, having looked into what of what the data is around it. It's I wouldn't do it myself. It would be too painful, but I can respect people that do do it. Yeah. Well, if you ever want to do anything different with a bunch of crazy triathletes or your team, but with that, on that note, Jackson, anything to end with? Sorry, my, my audio sucked today, folks. I've got to find that stuff, but thanks. Uh, yeah. Thanks for coming on. It's great to, great to chat with you and, I'm uh, going to have to take some of those tips into account for sure with the 200 hours and, you know, what, what levels to stay at and, and uh, maybe one day get one of these rooms where it's a little bit of a better situation for whoever might be around. So there you go, bud. That's uh, it's been great to learn. Yeah. And uh, well, uh, I might, if I, usually I get an idea like, Hmm, maybe I get an altitude room. And for me, it's like, you know, years down the road and Nick's usually like, well, this could be cool, and then he buys it like the next day. So I wouldn't be totally shocked <laughs> if you've uh, got a couple more customers here at some point. Yeah, I I do like to I buy what makes sense and what works. Okay, guys, I'll just I'll say that it's not just because I'm flipping. And that is, is that Aura Ring as well? Yeah, yeah, Aura's been been great. Been been a big fan of their tech for a long time. Yeah, eighty six percent accurate. They're the highest accuracy out of them. Which is pretty cool. Yeah. I think it's 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 such a cool tech age. You know. It is. It's stressful sometimes because you're like, 
I know that I feel like shit and something's actually telling me I should feel like shit. That's, that's fine. Yeah. Yeah, it just all backs up the data. And I suppose that's, that's sort of what some of the conversations we have. It's just like the wearables are just going to tell you tired that, you know, you know it already, you know. And so it's like listen to your body first and then look at the wearable. Yeah. It's like it just validates it a lot of the time. But, yeah, sometimes your, your mind plays tricks on you too, though, and your data can prove that. Yeah, it's such a – it's a cool age. I'm really – I'm excited about, I suppose, being able to – present oxygen efficiency as well i think that's a, a cool big jump in the future well that could be the fountain of youth i mean that's how we all rejuvenate everything fresh oxygen just like the tides come and rejuvenate all this stuff coming going in the tides in the ocean same thing with our blood that's all it does replenishes and higher oxygen content it's like scrubbing bubbles for your whole body yeah, it really is. Well, that's what that autophagy is all about, isn't it? Repairing RNA and DNA chain. It's so vitally important. I listen to David Sinclair quite a bit. I don't know if you're familiar. Yeah, I've heard him and Peter Atier. Yep. Um, I personally, I prefer what um, David Sinclair is saying. I I find his tone and his presentation of the studies and data very concise. Um, but yeah, I think it's a kind of the golden age and I think Australia's actually declared aging as a disease and, um, and should be prevented. It's like, I'm wow. done with that. I'm like, <laughs> we got to like, stop this disease, man. We gotta live forever. <laughs> no one wants it. No one wants all of us to live forever, but some of us. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, on that note, let's live forever. And, uh, and thanks for coming on. And w if you have any questions or, or anything, we'll provide Rico's information in the show notes. Um, hopefully we get a, our hands on some U.S. version of this product um, in the near future on some level. And of course, thank you for your knowledge and your time, buddy. Re really nice getting to know you. Thank you. Yeah, same. same. All right. Thanks, guys. Bye, bye Jackson. Now you can go take a nap. <laughs> Ciao. I got ish to do, flying through the sky in my parachute, dancing on the couch like I'm Tommy Cruise on a one-man mission trying to see it through.